Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Luke Diebel. Hello from Australia. John Leder. Hello from Texas. And Kale Watts-Juker. Hello from Melbourne. Yeah, 50% on each continent today. This is exciting. Welcome to the show, everybody. So today we have two special guests from the Beautify team. So I will just ask them each to introduce themselves briefly before we get into the show. So John, would you mind introducing yourself real quick? Sure. My name is John Leder. I'm the original creator and author of Beautify. And I have been working full-time in open source on the project since 2007, excuse me, 2017. 2007, you time traveled there. <laughs> no, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. And that's I mean, pretty much it. I mean, uh, I've continued to work on Beautify full-time ever since and been growing the framework, try to get more funding and more people and I think everything is going really well, so. Excellent, thank you. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. For those who are not longtime listeners, John was also on a previous episode, episode 110, where we were talking about some of the evolutions of Udify at the time. And we talked more in depth with John about his history and how he got into Vue and how we created Udify in the first place. Uh, excellent episode if you want to go and take a listen. Kale, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm Kale Watsuka. I've been working... I've been contributing to Beautify since 2017, and I've been on the Beautify core team since early 2018, I believe. Something like that. Yeah. Sounds about right. I think I snatched you up as quick as I could. Yeah. So on that note, though, what what brought you into programming, Kale? What interested you in that? I've just always been into like tinkering with stuff since I was a kid, really. When I was like eight, I think. I had like a bunch of electronics kits. I just make things with that. And then I used to get old computers off the side of the road and just pull bits out and put them together until it worked. In primary school, we had this software called Game Maker pre-installed on the school computers. So I used to make little games with that. It's like drag and drop block programming. And it also had a JavaScript-based language as well. Yeah, and then I studied information technology through high school. And then that's how I ended up working with Beautify was through a school project. Oh, nice. Yeah, I. it's fun you mentioned the, the Game Maker. I started with the Games Factory back whenever it was that that was new. And that's how I started getting into programming as well, just tinkering around and playing with, playing with games and wanting to learn. So that's, that's, a really, that's a really fun path, in my opinion. I enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it, I should say. I'm still on the path, but I've moved along. I got to say, I'm pretty impressed. How do you go from someone pretty much just out of high school it sounds like you got snatched up just out of high school into the beautify team how did that happen i'm interested to hear that from your angle kale and also from yours john yeah so in 27 so i graduated high school in 2016 in 2017 i was at tafe studying it so i was doing a diploma 
and I used Laravel with Vue and Vuetify for I was building a um just a web app, and there were some problems with the Vuetify forms that I wasn't really happy with, so I just decided to fix it. <laughs> and then I kept just contributing for a couple months, and then John was like, "Hey, you want a job?" So then he basically hired me to work with him on uh, client projects consulting, and then I've just been continuing to contribute to Vuetify ever since then. Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as uh, I saw him, and I think was this on Gitter at the time, or we already moved to Discord? Yeah, I think it was on Gitter. Yeah, because it was a long time ago, and I I remember because early on, I just I would spend all my time in the, the chat room was trying to help people because it was not that big; it was very easy. And Kale was a strong voice, and it's it's often difficult to find people who can just say what they mean and drive on and being as someone who doesn't often get upset it's easy to work with uh, people like kale who are very linear very very technical with very little emotion but he's smart so i figure that he's kind of like a weapon and i wield him uh he he's he's like the unofficial senior dev of the beautify project right so he's that guy that you can just go to and you're like all right man i cannot figure this out just go and like since the beginning when he jumped on board you know him and yasik and albert which are pretty much the original original crew beautify would be anything near what it is without these guys so i mean i i was just the uh the, the brick and mortar but these guys were the ones blocking everything up so yeah he, he was he was one of the few people that you know, in the community was able to just talk and thought that, hey, this would be someone that I could learn a lot from. And when when I left my last job, the best piece of advice that I think I ever received was, if you want to be successful in this, surround yourself with smart people and listen to them. And I've tried to do that since then. I've tried to always just never try to overwrite anyone. And finding people like Kale, Albert, Yasik, and a few others, uh, it's it's really awesome because you get to be with people that are like way higher than it, especially me in this stuff. Right. Just super, super smart. But that's like his like main thing is what he's really good at. And I'm good at, you know, managing and things like that. So he was just one of the early additions who, yeah, I, I saw, I thought it looked like a good idea. And ever since then I've found any way possible to garner his time over the years from hiring him to, now I'm sponsoring him, and uh, hopefully one day I'll be able to, probably never, but have all of his time. So, Kale, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, it sounded like you started with Vutify in 2018, 2017. Is that correct? Late 2017, yeah. Late late 2017. And since Vutify 2 came out in 2019, it sounds like you probably were heavily involved in that migration from Vutify 1 to Vutify 2. Is that correct? Yeah, so I, well... Yeah, I, I think I, it was like 0.15 or something. 0.14 maybe was one of the first. Oh, even earlier than I was expecting. Okay. Yeah. I started with Vutify too. So, so that, that was the date I knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was, um, because when we released 1.0, I remember it was like a month later, Material Design 2 came out. And we had pushed the form system. This is why Kale was basically got on board. We had pushed the form system out in its current incarnation, but we had already known before we released version 1.0 that we we wanted to just completely re, rehaul and refactor the the form controls setup. Uh, but we wanted to, well, I 
I didn't want to iterate to version 2.0 like months afterwards. So I basically challenged the team to let's figure out how to not only restructure our forms so they are, are easier for us to maintain, manage, and better for users to use, but but doing without breaking things. And I believe this is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Kel, but I'm pretty sure you're the one who figured out using scope slots or slots and wrapping the components and functional components would allow us to inherit or uh, determine everything that was coming in and say, for example, originally B select was, it, it had tags in it, it had autocomplete in it, it was like everything before we broke it out into autocomplete and combo box. So we had struggled to try to figure out how we weren't going to break and move on. And basically, Kale figured out how to uh, create a, a soft wrapper where we were able to not only keep everyone's application running without any breaking changes, but also give them really good documentation on, hey, you used the autocomplete prop on select now. Now you need to use this this different component and i think that was one of the really i honestly that's one of the one of the greatest achievements i think that the team had made since then i know that it really defined a lot with what even probably happened in view at that point because i believe at that time you were at least meddling with the view dev team right like pretty sure you were at least i, I know you were at least bugging them on the boards at some point whenever you were building that slot work around for uh for one one yeah remember. i don't really remember <laughs> But it was something that no one had done. It was something that no one had done. And it was, it, it, it literally set us up for success on so many uh, future releases and situations because we had this tool that we could say, hey, it's easier for us to deprecate things. Not in all situations, but in a lot. And that was, yeah, that was to one one. And then we spent the, the next, what, year and a half trying to not only release things, but also get on to material design too which again, heartbreaking. We released in February and March, they were allowed material design too. And it was like, are you serious? <laughs> we just put all this time in the version and we just released 1.0. So yeah, it was, it, it was almost like it was, uh, it was like fire under the, under the sea. Like we got to go, we got to move. And we did, <laughs> we have been moving ever since. Yeah, I, I was just looking up the dates to make sure I had it right. It looks like View 2.6 came out around February 2019, and then Viewify 2 came out later that year in July, is mm -hmm. my assumption. Yeah, that um, was that was it. What what was that experience like working? Because I'm, I'm driving the conversation eventually to talk about Viewify 3 and View 3.0, uh, but with View 2.6, we started getting the new slot syntax, and there was more work going into scope slots and changes around that. What was the experience like for both of you working on, on Vutify 2 as those slot changes in particular were happening, but any of the other changes in Vue at that time as well? I think we still haven't fully updated everything in Vutify 2 to use the new scope slot syntax. So people using render functions for their applications still have to do some workarounds with that because we're using the old template slot instead of the vslot directive internally. But we have that um, workaround with git slots, right? Yeah, but we're not using that everywhere. So. <laughs> no, I know. Another thing yeah. that Kale made is a, is a workaround to be able to handle the use case that slot could be scoped and unscoped in, in view two, which, which meant that in order to account for all of that, we again had to create another kind of wrapper function to uh, accommodate our, our ridiculousness. In the, well, yeah, that, the ways that, that we just, use. 
that was to support both view 2.5 and 2.6 because some people were still stuck on 2.5 for certain reasons. Oh, yeah, I remember that, that. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, you'd still have to support the previous versions. Yeah. So we had to have a workaround that would still read the old slot syntax and the new one at the same time. I think that's one thing that we've usually done pretty good about in regards to now early on in 1.0, I know that we broke stuff all the time. And yeah, one one point one was basically a major version that was that was pretty bad. But I um I'm stubborn and I my motivation was was and still and always has been to just you know make something better and keep going forward. And I felt then and I agree with it that we had so much to do while we were upgrading uh, to the material design too. And I had only recently at that point started working full-time with Beautify, but it wasn't full-time like I spent 40 hours on Beautify. I was doing quite a bit of contract work, which I was fortunate enough to have access to because of my position. But we didn't have, we probably had a combined total of one and a half to two full-time devs between everyone waxing and waning in and stuff. So it was really difficult to to say, hey, we're going to just stop and try to move everything to version Material Design 2 when we just got I mean, barely got out what we had. So I just think that the the fact that we were able to not only kind of push through and continue, and we still do that now. We're still releasing miners while we're working on the next big project. And I think that over time, we really fixed our our issues with upgrading users, with uh, not breaking things and being a lot better about that. Kale can probably speak speak more to that aspect because he he worked on the our ESLint plugin which does a lot of, at least for version two, it upgrades your application. And in most cases, you know, it pretty much gets the whole thing. It gets you either done or 90% there. And, uh, but yeah, if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that's something we've, well, it's fairly uncommon in smaller open source projects like ours is we have currently three different development trunks going on. We've got 2.5, we've got a 2.6 in development, and we have version three all running at the same time. And yeah, so the, the ESLint plugin that was that came fairly late actually. I think that was like around version two point one. Yeah, um, it wasn't initially at the release, but we had a pretty good upgrade guide at that point. I think we had yeah. learned from our mistakes and we'd spent a lot mm-hmm. of time making sure that we caught as much as we could. But so yeah. so just just making sure I, I caught that correctly. There's three different development paths going right now, 2.5, 2.6, and 3.0. And that's split right. between I'm I'm assuming all of the developers are kind of working across the three to try and keep everything flowing. Is that accurate? What's that like in, on the team? Well, right now we have, so I think we talked about this last time, but over, over the course of a year, a lot of open source developers will kind of wax and wane in their ability, the times they have and the motivation they have to do things, which is completely understandable. And like, for example, Albert, like wrote <laughs> like 75% of version three until we started getting in there. Like he was just popping out components and he was working through stuff and, and he was motivated to do that. And so we've all kind of had our hand in different places at different times. We, Yasik, who is one of our core team members, he is primarily focused on the, so Kale talks about three different dev stacks. So we have, you know, master, which is 2.5.x, we have dev, which is future 2.6, and then we have uh, next, which is version 3. So typically what we try to do is everyone has, and we pretty much put 2.x on the back burner. We still review PRs. We're not super actively 
making modifications in there. But we do have a developer who's kind of Yasik, who kind of makes sure that there's uh, people that are putting PRs in for that are getting looked at and whatnot. I know Kale helps out with that a lot. The team will kind of you know occasionally go in and, and chime. But I'd say that, yeah, when you ask about split, uh, right now dev is it's kind of in holding pattern. So we're not really technically working on that. It has a new component. And we're just kind of phase three for, for Beautify 3 starts tomorrow. And that's where, where we're handling forms. And I think we're just waiting to get a little bit of an idea on how we're going to structure things for the form controls in version three before we move. The new component is one-time input. Move that into the, the base of uh, the framework. But so um, for, for yeah. the sake of listeners, we're speaking from the past. Tomorrow is July 1st. Is that Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. So I'm in Texas. So right now it's 10:32 p.m. on on June 30th. So the phase, yeah, phase is on my time. But yeah, the, uh, <laughs> so that's so we kind of end up bouncing between a lot of things. Honestly, I know Kale does, and I know it's like a delicate balance of trying to continue to maintain other areas of the framework um, without getting burned out, without feeling overwhelmed. Which it can be overwhelming when you look. You know, we have over 1,200 issues in the repository. For a lot of people, that could can be overwhelming. So I, I think maybe one of the things that that helps a little bit is, for all intents and purposes, we are pretty well organized, and the team. I, I think we have a really good relationship together. Like there's, I think we really work. One day, I wish to hire them all, the original four. That would be my that would be my dream. But just because I think that if we had four full time devs on Beautify, like shut it down, right? But I think one of the reasons why we you know are able to be so efficient as a as a team with such a small amount, I think, is because of not only how smart these guys are, but I honestly try to get out of their way. You know, honestly, I'll throw things, say, hey, I'll throw wrenches at the pro- the, the situation and, and say, what about this? What about that? Because I'm, I'm a really nitpicky UI person. And it kind of sometimes forces them to come out of their their shell to think about that. But then also sometimes they're like, no, this doesn't make any sense. We just kind of drive on. So I think that we're we're just really good at, at identifying an issue and then just fixing it, moving on, not really getting into politics of it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the most difficult things, I think, in the workplace, especially when you start getting new employees, to basically be able to give them something to work on and then just let them sort of jump into a hole and like just focus on that as much as they can without outward distraction. So that's that's really mm-hmm. cool. I think that's that's great advice for all of us. You know, to be able to set somebody on a task and then get out of their way. It's the best way to succeed. Yeah, cool. So let's talk a little bit about Beautify 3. As I'm sure our listeners are aware, there's there's a new version of Vue out. And Beautify 2 is specifically targeted at Vue 2, and it doesn't, doesn't really work in Vue 3. In the recent announcement of Vue 3.1, they specifically call out a number of frameworks that are pretty popular that would not get support from the uh, compatibility build, and Beautify is on that list. <laughs> yeah. I expected that. Yeah. So let's just talk about Beautify 3. Obviously, there's the compatibility with Vue 3. But beyond that, what's what's some of the inspiration that's going into Beautify that's changing between Beautify 2 and 3? I'll kind of start off and pass this on to Kale to kind of expand on a few points. But to kind of summarize quickly, in Vue 2, they had a concept of mix-ins, which was ultimately a bad design pattern. They ended up removing it but I used them like crazy. And luckily enough, I, for the most part, put everything together to where we didn't really have overlap that caused issues. 
uh, at first until we wanted to expand functionality. But the the, the motivation for version three was to, to take, because we had re, uh, we had rewritten the fam- framework so many times. Like the original version was on Stylus and Pug. And then we went to JavaScript and then TypeScript and then SAS. And so we're, we're moving into our probably third, but maybe fourth iteration of the framework. We are so tired of rebuilding it. So one of the big things that we set out to do very early on was try to understand how our mix-ins would be utilized in, under an entirely different design philosophy, as opposed to object-based inheritance. We're now using composition functions to make the code more deliberate and to help with the expandability of all the components. So like from a distance, it's kind of like, oh, I'm applying elevation, for example. And it's the same way in Vue 3 as Vue 2 in terms of kind of how it's being applied. It's just, it looks differently. And this is to coincide with the new Vue 3 composition API which is really wonderful uh, for developers. And this is where I would kind of pass it off onto Kale to, you know, there is a, we do a lot with trying to break view. We're always trying to get inside and, and do crazy stuff. And I know that Kale and Albert had spent a lot of time trudging through, uh, trying to figure out how things for our end would, because some things would convert over, but not everything. We had a lot of new concepts that we had, never really done outside of the mix-in portion. So yeah, if, if Kale, you want to you know, talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing primarily with version three and, and Beautify. Yeah, so one of our, everything John mentioned is sort of like an internal perspective of how it's actually developed. But from a developer using Beautify's perspective, we're focusing on cleaning up the API a lot as well. So we have some, we have a lot of props that were like added later. So they don't really go well with the original set. For example, uh, text fields, you can have append and prepend icons. But originally, the append icon was inside the underline area, and then the append icon was outside it. And then we added append outside and prepend inside. So then they're, like, they're mismatched. So we're trying to even all that stuff up, remove inconsistencies in the API. Yeah, And we're also focusing more on now that Vue 3 has dropped Internet Explorer, we're using lots more modern technologies, resize observers, CSS custom properties. I think we're using CSS Grid in the timeline now. We are. So that's that's really good. That must feel amazing to, to be able to drop those restrictions of having to support IE 11. I'd like to point out, before Vue actually made the decision, I had already <laughs> decided. It didn't matter to me whether they were going to do it or not. And uh, we actually ended up having a discussion. I think that maybe it was in Amsterdam or for ViewConf Amsterdam or ViewConf US. I can't remember, but they were talking about it. And I had already decided a long time ago, like we're not, it's too restrictive and it takes too many work hours to, to really support all that. And at one point we kind of had a guy that was a little dedicated towards that. Uh, and, and it made it easier to say, okay, well, we can support, like, we can continue to make IE 11 better on Beautify 2 simply because we had kind of a dedicated individual. But beyond him already being gone at, at the point to where, you know, we were deciding what this the stack was that we were going to handle for the future. And I think the big deciding factor was the CSS variables. 
because we needed them to be able to move to the see we have you know i w- Kale was right i was kind of talking about the developer experience and, and our, our view is always we want to make it clean we want to make it simple and then i come in there and i try to figure out ways to you know can we make this smaller can we make this easier to look at like this doesn't make sense to me which means it's not going to make sense to a lot of other developers because i usually approach things from from a place of ignorance you know i, I i'm a program i'm a good programmer by being a worker bee but someone like kale would school me all day long as far as the best way to maybe put things or, or perform a specific task or action so in addition to those we have the, the entire framework is really meant to take away the the need for a design choice when choosing a framework one of the big things that people had criticized beautify for over the years even though we did make big improvements to it, our documentation was a little subpar and people just thought it was too difficult to, to take away that material design look and feel. And I agree. We agreed that we could definitely do better on that. And I think that's one of the things that also kind of limited the framework to an extent was we were a material design only framework, which means that designers are probably already going to hate it because designers just say they hate material design. And so you're really just going for those backend devs that, that need an interface to hook up all their data to. And basically, we wanted to make it more difficult for users to make their application look ugly while also giving them the ability to, um, and we're going to have some of these at release, I haven't decided on what the names are going to be yet. So for a lack of better terms, we'll say a schema. But in Beautify 3, you can set the defaults for every single component in the entire framework from your Beautify config. And in addition to this, that kind of works hand in hand with doing CSS variables. So we have a kind of a small implementation of this in version two with what we call the material studies. And the material studies are just a section that uh, Google put out on the material design website that was trying to show people how you can take material design and make small tweaks and then, you know, have a different experience. It's like, oh, wow, that's, that doesn't look like material at all. And, you know, we have an implementation there. It was, it's, it's okay, but it was kind of the precursor to, hey, this would be a really great feature to have. And we actually didn't even intend on doing, I think, global defaults until version four. But with the new provide and inject functionality, we were able to do, I don't know, you and, you and Albert figured that stuff out. I just showed up and started using it. But I think that, and, and I could talk for days. I want to give Kale an opportunity to, to, to speak to that. And if you have any additional questions, but honestly, there's, there is so much coming in Beautify 3 that doesn't even touch on the tooling, on the developer experience improvements, on the, the new support for things like Byte. And right now, our dev environment for Beautify 3 is running on Byte SSR. Can you believe that? <laughs> like, that's insane. That's and awesome something that Kale just figured out and then started knocking on and complaining on some developers that were running the, uh, the, the package to fix some of the issues that we were having. And that's what we use in our dev environment now, which is great because we do uh, SSG for our, whenever we deploy the website and our, it's powered by the server render, at least that's what we do in Vue 2 uh, for the docs. So having the ability to do that means that maybe, I don't know, if we'll be able to, but maybe we can have the documentation on Byte, making it easier for us to move through it. And, you know, maybe it'd be kind of first party working with an SSG generator, which is something else that we're going to be bringing out at some point this year. So there's just a whole lot of 
of things in, in the next version for everyone. But I think that it, it's going to be like a kid in a candy store because it's just as flexible as it's always been. But now there's it's way more efficient to interact with it and it's way easier to configure. But we can I can dive into some of those later on, you know, wherever we want to take the subject. I had a quick question on that because I think this is a brilliant idea of having global defaults. That's really cool. And so with those global defaults, to what extent are we talking here? Are we talking like making everything flat or making like just individual buttons and cards flat, for example? And does this include colors as well? And does this include like specific colors for specific components? Like what, to what extent do you want to take those global defaults? Yeah, it's, it's everything basically. Any prop that is defined on a beautified component can be configured globally. We have a section for global globals, which is like everything. So you can set flat true on every single beautify component and they'll all be flat. Or you can say, I only want buttons and text fields to be flat. And yeah, anything with a color prop, you can set that. We also have density now in version three. So we have three different density levels, which reduces vertical padding. So it removes a lot of white space and you can set all that globally. That was another big complaint for people was the, we had dense, so we had regular mode and then a, a dense prop for version two that we use now. And one of the new things that came in material design two was the the concept of density, which I think they have it on Gmail now, but you've probably seen it in various applications that they say, hey, you could have a, a compact view or comfortable view, or maybe on some tabular data. I think that, yeah, you know, I think Gmail has that now. And I um, also tasks board, but we we already kind of had dense use throughout. So it gave us an opportunity uh, to uh, kind of target an even smaller subset of you know, size. And then Kale went in and wrote some magic in SAS to where not only do we support, on um, this isn't for all components, but this is for quite a few. Not only do we support density, which again, density, you could think of it as you know, reducing the vertical space that a component is taking up. And the values are default, comfortable, and compact. And not only do we have those, but we also have the, a different concept that we had already implemented for version two, which was size. So there's size of extra small, small, medium, large, and extra large. So a lot of our components actually support both. So you can have a compact, extra large button, or you can have a comfortable, extra small button. And everything, because of having access to uh, CSS variables due to dropping IE11 support, we're able to easily propagate all these changes down with actual calculations that uh, respond accordingly. Like if I increase the size of a button or if I increase the size of a chip, for example, something I was actually working on today, and I'm using, let's say, an avatar. Well, I don't want the avatar to stay the same size. I want it to grow. But I also don't want to have to write a whole bunch of code to say for every single density and every single size, this is what you should be. So we've we figured out a way to take uh, kind of multiple concepts. He talked, uh, Kale mentioned the densities. We also now have variants. You know, another thing that we're trying to, we have a lot of Boolean props right now. And we're trying to kind of, uh, it's always kind of been our thing. It's been my thing, but the API is just too large. So we can't keep having Boolean props. And uh, we actually finalized this the other day, but if you've worked in Beautify and you've worked with, uh, let's say, Alert or Snack Bar, they have a, a prop called Text. And what it does is whatever color you have set, 
that's the color of the text. And then the background has that same color, but with a lower opacity, right? Well, arguably tons of components could utilize that, right? But it was implemented kind of in its own proprietary way early on. And then we added it to snack bar kind of, you know, uh, you know after the fact. But we went through and kind of looked at all the different ways that sheet components. And when I say sheet, uh, I am talking in terms of material design, which is based off of a sheet of paper. So every, everything you see is essentially a sheet of paper that has some sort of modification to it, whether it's elevation or it's, it's border radius or it's, it's padding. There's always these different things that are uh, associated with it. And we came up with, I think it's five. We have five variants. There's text, contained, contained to text, plain, and outline, right? And the cool thing about that is, again, everything in Beautify 3 is meant to work together. And because we've been able to expand some concepts out, it has allowed us to make way to do new things. For example, the, the uh, text property that used to be on, for example, alert is now an interface property that we use on multiple components where you can just say text equals and then it gets put in the, the, the component exactly. I think Quasar does this on a lot of components actually, uh, where they're, you're able to say title, subtitle, and text, and it'll just take the component and make sure that it gives you the proper structure. And whenever we were working with the variants, we thought, okay, well, if we can do this in a way that can be used throughout sheet, card, alert, lists, tons of components that throughout the framework in Beautify 2 had the same or similar styles in a lot of ways, but there were some inconsistencies due to their, the way they were implemented. So now whenever you go in there, you know, you're not only going to have more options than Beautify 2 substantially, but it's going to be easier to work with. And because we have everything broken down into kind of these I call them style composables, and it's anything that modifies the, the visual state of a component. And we were able to um, you know, do everything that we wanted to do in version two, but without having to implement it in a weird way for different components. So everything at its core is pretty much the same. You know, everything's a card and it has modifications to it in, in some shape or form. But yeah, it, it's essentially, there's just so many ways to combine uh, multiple properties, and we're going to be documenting a lot of these composable functions. I'm not sure if we're going to make them public. I'm sure Kale is probably like, he's like grinding his teeth right now. But I, I do think that there's a benefit to not only having them documented, but potentially making some of them of a certain uh, like category of composables publicly available because it would be useful. But but yeah, everything is, is it's like building, it's like putting Legos together. And that's what all of our, if you look at any of our components in Beautify 3 for the most part, I mean, all the way through it is, you know, if you're working with the same thing in every single component, it, they, as far as when you're building, when we're building, and it just makes the process faster and easier. I mean, I think we've moved pretty quick since I think when we really took off with when Albert started, uh, he hooked up the default props. And I think once he hooked that up, I think that's when we kind of like took off sprinting with version 3. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, yeah, we've been 
working with Vue 3 since like February last year, 2020? No, December 31st because Evan released it like on the 1st of January or something like no, that. No, but like, like during, during Vue 3 Alpha, we've we've had an X branch running. Yeah, for since a long last time. year, early last year, yeah. No. And we've only really started making progress in like December. And I want to dive into your experience, Kale, specifically with using Vue 3 and, and what that's been like as you build out the, the Vue framework. But just real quick, I just want to voice my, my excitement for what you guys are all talking about. Personally, I, I really like this idea of the variance. And especially as because we, we were talking about it, I, I want to bring it up, the, the density and the sizing. There was a, a larger Vue2Fi application that I was working on. And I had to override the SAS myself to, to enable my own version of density and sizing because the, the client just, every time I gave them a, a presentation of the page, they were like, yeah, but can you make it smaller? We, we, we yeah. want to fit more on the screen. Can you can you just make it a little bit smaller, please? I just kept tweaking the, the CSS myself until I got to the point it, that it worked. But I think that's great that things like that are coming into the, the framework itself. Yeah, it's, it's really all about organizing and, and trying to find... I like everything to have a, a, a well-defined purpose, a well-defined scope. An example of something really cool that we've been able to do since we have separated some of this uh, nomenclature is if you've worked in, in in version two, you know, a lot of components have the property outlined. And what outline does is uh, for anyone who hasn't worked with material, whatever color is designated. So let's just say that it's a purple button and it's outlined, then the text will be purple. And then it'll also have a hundred percent opacity uh, purple border around it. This is the concept of an outline. But we also have in Beautify 2 the concept of a border. So they don't they don't necessarily work hand in hand. But in, in version three, because they have a uh, we've created a distinction between the both, we can now uh, give the user even more options. For example, if you want instead of doing an outline button, say you want a different type of border opacity, and instead of using the variant, you can just use the border prop. And instead of getting a colored border, you would get the standard material design divider border color. And you can mix these things together. You can use utility classes and it, everything just kind of, it works. You can still write everything out as verbose if you want each element and really uh, you know, use slots and get detailed in there. Um, or now you can simply use, I, I call them content interfaces. But if you have a card and you want to say, I want to have a title, subtitle, and text, it's a lot cooler to, to do it in a prop and scale the, the the markup for them. But then when you say, hey, you can also use slots or hey, you can still just write it all out individually if you want. So there's like three levels of, of interactivity that users are gonna have with content-based components, things like uh, you know alerts and banners and cards. And yeah, I think that the ability to be so flexible is a testament to you know, the work that our team has done and a lot of the, you know, I, I get up here and I talk about all the flair when, uh, you know, Kale and Albert and Yasik are all kind of in there, you know, in the digging through code and whatnot. And I just come around, start throwing out silly ideas, but it's, it's because we've been able to take everything that we've done over the years and using the, the composition API in G3, which I, I personally, I love as a developer. I, I'm kind of against it being the primary way that users come into view, but I understand that one day that'll go away. 
But I, I just, for as a developer, we've been able to, to take so many concepts and do things that we couldn't do before. So they were able to offer 90 variations of a, a component very simply without providing a lot of maintenance burden and the just working out of the box. That's the biggest thing is when people get when that wow factor, when you do something and it just works and you're like, wait a minute, I don't even know what I'm doing. How did this work? And I think that's just because we offer so many ways for people to accomplish something. And, you know, in version three, we're just making it even better. Yeah. What, this, is, this hits on one of my favorite concepts, which is super, super simple by default, but you can opt into complexity to the nth degree. So by default, if I just want a button, it's just going to show me a button and it looks beautiful and it works the way I would expect it to work. But then I can gradually start using stuff like slots or extra attributes to kind of add in complexity to that. And it sounds like you guys are really sort of nailing that with Beautify, which is awesome. Thank you. So at this point, I'd like to talk more about the experience of building uh, Beautify 3 with Vue 3. John, you've mentioned a lot the, the composition API. Kale, I believe you mentioned provide, inject, and the changes that were made there. I don't. So I'm just curious what the, uh, what the experience has been with building out these components, building out the, the, compos- the composable methods that you're using to, to build the framework in Vue 3. Kale, if you want to talk a little bit to the, the more technicalities of how the composables were, were put together and I could I could come back I can come in and swoop and talk about <laughs> all the things that I made the team do <laughs> that everyone hated that also went into these composables as far as uh, you know how they're structured argument wise. So if you wanna Yeah, I don't I don't really remember what difficulties we had last year with like why it took so long to start actually making progress. I think it was mostly TypeScript stuff because we we've been using TypeScript for a couple of years now. So the whole the whole frameworks are written in TypeScript, and the TypeScript support for Vue three was pretty good, but there were some areas that just didn't work at all until it was like the final release. Yeah, and the, the provide inject stuff—that's just composition API, really. The you can use inject in prop defaults now, but yeah, it's 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 mostly just easier to type than than Vue two was. That's fair. yeah. The, the actually, I'll make a correction. The reason why Beautify 3 kind of got pushed back so far is because of a decision that I made. Uh, dur- during the pandemic, um, obviously, the, the you know, businesses need to take care of their employees. So the first thing they started doing is cutting unnecessary expenses. Sponsorships include those, which is why we I had to make kind of a pivot on the uh, business direction of Beautify to get it to a point to where I could sustain with my family. And I had made the decision that we, we already had to update the docs because they were way too difficult to work with because I just, I always just made something really crazily overly complex. Uh, and with the new version, I wanted to be able to just use Markdown. And uh, I thought that we only had enough time or we only had enough time in the rest of the year to do one. And I didn't want to do version three and then have to come back and update the docs in the process because if, if the docs were in the state that they, they used to be and users were coming in and, and trying to contribute, it would be difficult. So because of the limited bandwidth, I made the decision to pause version three and focus 100% on rebuilding the documentation so that it's easier to contribute, which you know I still think a lot of people are mad. A lot of people message me and they're very upset. But I, I honestly think that it's the, it was the best decision for the long run because if more people can contribute, which has always been our problem, then we can get more help. But Beautify, at least Beautify 2, especially earlier on, 
very complex, all render functions, very new for a lot of people. I think I set up the old docs to use like massive JSON objects. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so pre previously every page was a big JSON file, and then each like paragraph was a separate key on that, and it was hugely complicated to add new sections and you had to juggle between like four different files to add stuff. Huge pain. It was annoying, but it had a purpose when I made it. I was about to ask. I bet there was a purpose there uh, for that design. Yes, I think it was um, for translation. No, well, a combination what? with that and SEO. Because I wanted to have every basically what I, I didn't want to rely on anyone to have to use the proper structure in pages. So I figured that it, if it was form over over concept where we say, hey, this is how you structure and have to build it, then I could take that in. Uh, I would build out the sections so the HTML was semantic and I would stick in ads based upon some type of criteria. I think before like if there was five sections, I would automatically insert an ad. And the point at the time was to just make that process easier, but it it was very diff it, it was very monotonous to try to work on any docs, and I think that that process really turned a lot of people off from contributing. That actually yeah, makes anyway, so, a lot of sense. Yeah, so we we took a break from Beautify development basically and uh, rewrote the documentation to use Markdown for pages instead of JSON, which makes it a lot easier to contribute to the documentation. Absolutely. Are you still getting those benefits that? Um, you had by using a JSON object, by using Markdown now? In a sense, it's more verbose, but we did some really cool things. For example, I think Kale was the one who brought it up, but front matter, it's a concept. I think it's used in some of the view markups and whatnot. And then we named a back matter, right? So we had some kind of default page structures elements that go into the actual Markdown template. But the rest of it is essentially... It's not difficult to. It's not as difficult to maintain. So the the things that the previous structure was helping improve, not really hurdles anymore. And if you look at our pages, I mean, it's it's really cool how it's hooked up. We have custom components that we can put in there inside the inline markup that gets. If we put in a snippet, then we parse the markdown and we wrap it in a you know beautify stuff. So it's like it's like I. I like beautify markdown, beautify MD. That's what I, that's what I'm gonna call it. But uh, before that, remember we had before that though. Remember we had to go. We went to was it Pug temporarily because you had to write something in the AST to be able to. We were oh. getting bombarded from like DDoSers and stuff. Remember that because uh, now, which is Versal now, their name is Versal. But remember they were shutting down version one, and we had to move off because we were still on SSR. And then as they toned down version one of their system or the website started going down all the time remember the docs that's why we got oh dear the status page oh no yeah. yeah and then kale was like we wanted to we needed to go to a static environment we had worked with the now team which again they're called versal now but to try to figure out how to take our application the way that it worked and have it work on their new infrastructure for deployment our Previous implementation used the view SSR, uh, a custom oh, right, SSR, yeah. right? And we had to have an active node server. And no matter what we did, we tried for months. We just couldn't, we couldn't break it. So we were going down like once or twice a day. It was very frustrating. And we didn't have time to get to the markdown. So we actually had to, we had to like do it like a, an in-between where I forget, I think it was Pug, it, right? Like you converted everything yeah, so to Pug. 
I used the pug compiler to convert pug into the JSON structure. So we could still do like line breaks and stuff in pug. So it looks kind of more like a HTML page. But then it converted that all into JSON and then it read the JSON into a view component and iterated over it to generate the actual elements. Yeah. And we took that bad boy and we stuffed it in our uh, our old SSR process. And instead of sending back a response from a request server, we dumped it into a file. And the reason why we had to do that was because whenever you have, I don't know, let's say we have 300 pages and 12 languages, that's a lot of pre-rendering. And it's just way too slow. I think it was at like 45 minutes scale to, to do pre-render whenever we were testing that out before you hooked up the, Beautify uh, is going to have an SSG plugin, just letting everyone know. So Ooh. we're going to, you're going to be able to to do what we're kind of doing on the docs right now. But but yeah, Kale was uh, you went in there and you're the one that figured out how to to pipe that into a file because it was taking so long. And what do we get down to like seven minutes now from 45? Yeah, it's it's pretty quick. That's mostly for multi-threading there. So it runs like eight different renderers at the same time. It's, oh yeah, that's right. It's awesome. So, so are you going to bundle the threads in Vitify 3 as well so everyone has multi-threading? Well, this is for the... I'm, the I'm just joking. Session, right? yeah. <laughs> Specifically, yeah, for SSD. Yeah, everyone gets a rise in the 5000 series with, with Vitify 3. Yeah, that's what it comes with. Looking forward to that patch. Uh, that'll take a while to download. Cool. As you 